welcome to another episode of Rebel City Podcast. This week's guest, we've got Darren McGarvey, or Loki, as you're more popularly known by, for a second episode. Mm-hmm. So, how's it nice going, Nice to have you back, man. Good, nice to see you. I'm good, thank you. Did Hopefully you this nice... isn't a, a cynical move, because you're the most watched episode that we've had. Is it? Oh, um, you've been captured by the algorithm, <laughs> falling into the same trap as the mainstream media, writing about the royal family. Sure. But I, we're not just getting you in because we're, we're trying to boost numbers or anything. It was, I think we, we made a list in the new year, we're trying to change the podcast up, but one of the sort of four or five names that was on the list was to get you in for a second episode because we genuinely want to have you in and talk about things. Oh, no, that's now. fine. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I've been off for a few months anyway and I'm kind of just stepping back in mm-hmm. to get back into the swing of things so it's good for me to stretch my legs a wee bit and have Excellent. a relatively straightforward conversation <laughs> you would hope anyway Aye. so 2020 was supposed to be like the 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 astrologists and the spiritualists say that symmetry is a sign of like peace and sort of longevity and you've seen a lot of people they'll, they'll post their 1111 when they see it in their phone or their 22 22 and 2020 was supposed to be the year where we left all the bullshit behind us uh, like the last decade mm. and that we moved into a more progressive and accepting decade of who knows what we were expecting maybe the 90s maybe because Why? we dressed like we're in the 90s maybe we were hoping that we're going mm. to get the 90s but 2019 December 2019 we've seen Boris Johnson get voted in as Prime Minister and it looks like the Democrats in America are eating themselves alive and that Trump might potentially get another four years in office what the fuck do you think is going on? Like, what, what are we doing? Wow, it's such a big question. <laughs> well, first of all, I think that when you're talking about questions of astrology and all of that and these other dimensions that uh, some people claim exist and all that, I think there is a way, if you work really hard at it, to find yourself in a mindset where you can still function and still see the good in the world mm-hmm. while a lot of this other shit is playing out. And that, I think that is important. I think that's going to be vital for a lot of folk these days, is actually, you know, acknowledging that, fair enough, there is a level of negativity out there, but you can still, you know, manage yourself through it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, the the situation we're in, the wheels are in motion. So the, going right back to the financial crash, really, we're still experiencing the... Uh, we're now experiencing the cultural effects of the economic effects that came mm-hmm. after the crash. Mm. So ultimately, everyone's forgotten that the financial crash is kind of ground zero of where we're at. Yeah. And uh, now the, uh, the the topic the topic became about immigration, and then it became about constitutional issues, mm-hmm. and then it became a kind of us versus them, whatever side of that particular fence you might be on. Uh actually, as much as as much as I would love for the left in the United States. And by the way, when I say the left, I'm being careful now to make sure I define what I mean when I'm saying it. Yeah. I'm, when I talk about the left, I'm talking about socialism. I'm talking about people who want to change the capitalist system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not, ta- the, I, I'm not, I'm not, not talking about, about Biden or Clinton or- No, I'm not talking about Chuka Muna. I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not saying that those positions are invalid, mm-hmm. but that's not the left. No. Right? That's liberals and that's fine. So as much as I would like the left to be in power, um, at the same time, the left isn't ready to be in power. No. And actually, the longer the left isn't in power, 
then the more opportunity is actually to get shit together. Mm -hmm. So as things play out, and this is me just looking at it pragmatically, obviously there's a lot of people suffering just now. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of collateral damage as the events play out. Mm -hmm. But if you actually like are engaged with left leftist culture, uh, particularly online with these platforms where ideas are being promulgated more yep. profusely mm -hmm. than in the real world, then actually you'll see that the left is starting to kind of like get its head around certain things. So great YouTube content, for example, mm -hmm. uh, people like Peter Coffin, ContraPoints, really breaking down those cultural questions mm -hmm. that the left has struggled to grapple with. Okay. And ultimately, the, the, the predominant regimenting factor politically now is cultural issues, identity issues yeah. mm -hmm. that has become you know, equal to or perhaps even less than economic issues. Uh -huh. And this has been something the left has struggled to get its head around. It's been inhibited, first of all, by the fear around challenging some of the excesses of the kind of so-called identity politics, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with the objectives of equality for all. Yeah. People should be able to express themselves in every way, sexually, <clears throat> identity, religion, mm -hmm. all of that. I don't have any issues with any of those things. But even the fact that I have to preface what I'm saying there tells you something about the kind of environment that we've been operating in where any kind of critique of certain strategies or online activism uh, can sometimes be conflated as conflated with uh, a denial that there's a problem mm -hmm. with racism or there's a problem with yeah. gender uh, equality yes. when I, I would never ever make that case. What I'm noticing now is that as the as leftists who are about class inequality and 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 that analysis have come now to understand that actually. The identity politics dynamic that's often seen as being on the left, a lot of that stuff is having its needs, net, needs met by liberals in the centre ground and having mm -hmm. their needs met by multinational corporations. I mean, how many people are thrilled when Black Panther came out and it was the biggest film ever and mm -hmm. this was hailed as like a big victory yeah. for progressive politics? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, on one hand, you're going like, ah, okay, that's great. Okay. This is a bit strange. Mm -hmm. So that's the yardstick that we're measuring uh, success mm -hmm. in terms of identity. Now, I'm not dissing anybody on that, but I'm just saying I think that now I think that the left has come to recognise that you can't really incorporate identity politics into a left-wing analysis that's mm -hmm. basically an economic analysis. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so now I think as time has passed, people, you know, thought leaders, community leaders, activists whether online or in real life, have begun to formulate a, a kind of magnanimous response around the issue of identity to say, we're not kind of cutting this adrift. Mm -hmm. We're not saying we're not on board with this stuff, but our focus is class politics. Our focus is that sort of stuff. That's what we're fighting for. That's what we've always been fighting for. Mm -hmm. and, and, and this has massive implications for women, for people of colour, for mm -hmm. the LGBTQ community, uh, uh, because ultimately, if you uh, if you're poor and your experience in society is compounded by one of those other aspects, mm -hmm. whether you be female or a person of color or, or 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 a disabled person, then that class analysis actually speaks to all of these Absolutely. experiences. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that we forgot about ourselves, and I've said it in previous episodes as well. Where you know <clears throat> we stopped talking about our class. 
and we started talking about the individual isms, the the identities that we feel, you know, best define us, whether it be any number of these things. But what I would like to see, Mary, and I think some, particularly in Scotland, there was a lot of guys post election that were very socialist leaning, who are now starting to talk about you know self determination and all these other things. But like, if we can start talking about class and actually talking to the issues that affect us within that class structure, like the isms and the identities that we all are, are catered to. You know what I mean? Like I think one all our focuses have been too narrow. We have got so into you know who we are as individuals that we forgot that if we take care of the, you know everybody of the, the same sort of political class as us, that everybody benefits from. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I I'll be the first one to admit. I was operating within what I thought was a discussion around issues of identity, completely unaware of the bigger culture war that had been going on for years prior to my understanding. So the thing that caught my attention at first was I was doing shows and there was pushback from the crowd that I had never experienced before. So I remember one instance where I was performing at a Commonweal event after the election. Right. And, you know, I was trying to say, you know, everybody's just doing their best. I was kind of trying to talk in the language of reconciliation in relation to no voters and things like mm-hmm. that. I didn't like this idea of Scotland becoming this kind of politically segregated mm-hmm. society. Definitely. Or at least an additional factor of segregation uh, in, uh, among the many that already <laughs> existed. Definitely. And and then I sort of, I sort of kind of, I don't know, it was a wee sucker punch I did to the audience. Was like, everybody's doing their best. And then just almost kind of jokingly or provocatively, I was like, including Tories. Mm. And then, so then straight away, everybody's back is up, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so then uh, people are kind of not necessarily on the tack, but there's this new scepticism. So as I continue with my show, I think I made a joke about Madonna. I think that week Madonna had like smacked the lips on Drake on stage or something like that. And I made the joke about, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, like Madonna forcing herself on Drake like that. Uh, then again, everything she does is forced, right? So it was a kind of, it was this, it was a sort of, it was a very pedestrian observation about consent when the roles are reversed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was provocative. It was probably not the best idea at the time. Mm-hmm. But I just remember then women at the front shouting at me and me handing the microphone down and them speaking in this language that I hadn't heard before, which was the language of privilege, the language, all these theories that really have kind of been mm-hmm. mainstreamed by the left recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was my first interaction with it. So I'm getting called a misogynist and all of that. No doubt there's have behaved misogynistically many times in the past and harbour misogynistic attitudes yeah. because I've grown up in a culture that's male-dominated mm-hmm, and absolutely. male entitlement. So I would never deny that. But, but can my entire life be defined by the word misogyny? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We're talking about specific behaviour. But at the time, I hadn't even contemplated this. So you just go on Google and you start Googling the things that people are shouting at you. Yeah. Trigger warning, <laughs> safe space, misogynist. And what happens? Oh, hello, Mr. Peterson. Oh, hello, you know, Ben Shapiro. Yeah, and yeah, so you've yeah. got an online algorithm that's mm-hmm. already calibrated to prioritise all of this kind of... Uh, all of this content that you're getting told is all right, yeah. right? And so for a while you kind of descend that rabbit hole because mm-hmm. you feel a bit rejected and yeah. you're starting to get a kind of sense of, 
oh, these are other people who are going through this experience I'm going through, but it's dead confusing. Mm-hmm. And, and almost share your victimhood or well, what you've maybe perceived to be a level of victimhood by exactly, being called out like that. Exactly. So then you're kind of in that pipeline for a wee while. But but really what 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 happened when I, I merged out of that uh, was, and it was more a kind of exploratory thing, It was I was kind of struck by what at first seemed like this kind of tolerance of a diversity of viewpoints. I liked the, the intellectual, intellectual slants that people were taking on yeah. things that were happening in the left that I wasn't hearing on, on the, the left. left yeah. mm-hmm. and, and so I was kind of drawn into it uh, just because of the, the vicarious pleasure of seeing other people talking about things that aren't allowed to be discussed. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a thrill at first. And I, but I had no idea that actually that this culture war had been raging for ages. So what I was experiencing was people on the left or people identity politics or whatever, basically trying to warn me, this pipeline's out there, it's trying to pump you towards this and that, you need yeah. to be careful. They weren't being as diplomatic as that, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it so, wasn't much of a warning, as more of like a screaming accusation. Aye, so it was just, it ended, up, it ended up for me, it was like I spent a while kind of really deeply considering, I don't know if I like the culture on the left anymore, mm-hmm. but then I started to realise what I was thinking was the left wasn't the left. It was this other thing that naturally, by nature of its kind of progressive uh, objectives, was attached to the left. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the left. Uh-huh. It was a kind of mixture of liberalism and uh, and, and, and identity politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it didn't necessarily need to be absorbed by the left. It's its yeah. own thing. Mm-hmm. But because people throw the term the left no. around so much, uh-huh. I think I kind of got confused by yeah. it as yeah. well. Do you think that... That has led to sort of common sense. I know it might somebody could argue it's common sense. I know, but something like free medical care in America, like Medicare or whatever mm-hmm. they what I call it, or um, the NHS in the UK. So in the UK, we expect free medical care, but in America, it seems like a radical policy. And I think, do you think it's because? this idea that the centre has now became the left to them and that this idea is slightly centre-left and it's almost like, oh, how can we have that socialism? And you're like, well, isn't it really socialism? Now we're getting the, 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 the lines between taking care of people, making sure that people are healthy and fit, is now a communist, a radical I, communist policy that needs that to be shot down because communism leads to nihilism. And look at look at so uh, look at uh, Russia, look at China, and th- then you're kind of like, well, we're moving past what that was. We want to progress past Russia and China and dictatorships and have a more a humanistic economy and humanistic sort of policy or, yeah. or, or po- politics that isn't, you know, like Mao or Stalin. Yeah. Uh, I will always be counterintuitive to a lot of Americans because they've got more of a pathological scepticism of government just because of their political history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the way the Constitution is written, what the con- like, you know, encoded in the Constitution is this hyper-awareness of tyranny possibly lurking around every corner. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about America, how it grew up out of, you know, British colonialism. Uh, However, I think actually 
Um, where that would normally be quite a sensible and admirable attitude to take. I think the big corporations, obviously, that have an interest in the status quo where healthcare is concerned okay. over there, they stoke the flames of that and make it a, 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 a non-rational scepticism of what should just be a basic public service. Um, and, and, and you know, I mean, for, for me, you when we talk about the left as well, in America liberal means a different thing again yeah so it can become more confusing just as an onlooker when people are talking about liberals and republicans and these words have different meanings in the uk mm -hmm. uh for me bernie sanders is left and uh hillary clinton and um joe biden they are liberals yeah and uh, most of the media are liberal establishment Absolutely. corporate liberal uh -huh. establishment i would say that hillary clinton is probably more akin to somebody like david david cameron yeah. in this country than she is Jeremy Corbyn but she represents or she is part of the left in yeah. America Definitely. where I think if, if, if they would come here and I think that this is a big a big issue especially amongst younger generations of people because they are seeing social media and Twitter as they don't see the lines between America and UK and different cultures and politics they just see this whole thing that's online right, the so noise. when they're talking about I had a conversation with somebody, uh, a good friend of mine's stepson, who's 17, and he was talking about, like, well, I don't see racism. I, I don't experience it, so where is it? Mm. And everything that he referred to was American. He was talking about, like, these things that are happening in America, like uh, when, when people talk about white privilege and when people talk about, like, rampant racism, and he's like, well, I don't see it, so it doesn't exist. Mm. I was like, well, look, you live in in Scotland in 2020 and it's quite a progressive society that we do live in and you don't see it but it does exist and the white privilege that they're talking about amongst like sort of the frat college boys in America it doesn't exist here for you you're a working class guy Irish Catholic descendant single mum for the majority of your life it doesn't exist for you but you need to realise that it does exist for some people. Aye. And it's not just for you to then, like you're saying, go down the rabbit hole of Jordan Peterson's and Ben Shapiro, who prey on this um, uh, prey on this attitude of like, well, if I don't see it, it doesn't exist, and then yeah. tell you that you're being lied well, to, people that it actually doesn't exist. People arrive. I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying that there isn't something to be gained from engaging with thinkers and writers and figures who have a different value system. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of things Jordan Peterson says that make complete sense 12, to me. 12 Rules of Life is is a good book for somebody who is bed-bound with depression. Aye. It gives you a lot of good hints and tips. And Aye. I mean, I've not I've not read it, but I'm, I'm, I've, I've watched enough of his lectures mm -hmm. and I've seen enough debates about him and I've seen him engaging with enough people to kind of mm. get a measure of the guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And while, obviously, I think the fact that he became such a phenomenon off the back of his stance on um, trans issues, ultimately, you know, really you can see that that's the thing he least wants to talk about. It's just that he, yeah. he became a lightning rod for those things. Ironically, we were the same after a couple of episodes of trans chat. It was like, well, we'll leave that today. And we'll yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Took but us 14 minutes. But I mean, even, <laughs> even then, that, that's, that's, that's a perfect example of, you know, the vast majority of people aren't going to experience uh, transphobia. They're not going to experience bodily dysphoria. They're not mm -hmm. going to experience what it's like to feel as sure that you are one 
yeah. sex, uh, but your body's different, mm-hmm. and uh, and and most of us don't experience that. So there's a, an element of privilege involved in that. Mm-hmm. I think where um, you know the issue of white privilege generally. Obviously, is it a scientific fact? No, it's not a scientific fact. Mm-hmm. And and you know, as 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 a as a homeless white man, more privileged than a, a black female university professor? No, mm-hmm. yeah. that's absurd. And I spoke to Akala at length about this over the course of four events, and was really heartened to see, perhaps actually, by virtue of the fact that he is a mixed race man, then he's afforded a little more space to push back against the idea of white privilege because he's not white. Mm -hmm. So there's another paradox. And so actually a lot of the thoughts that he was sharing were similar to my own, articulated very well, backed up by facts. And he was basically just saying, you know, of course there's a privilege in being white. That's very natural. But sometimes the way that this theory is applied, particularly by Caucasian upper middle class activists uh, can just be a bit kind of cat candied mm-hmm. and so no one likes to be accused of being privileged you know it just doesn't matter it's because no one likes that you're the person with the silver spoon mm-hmm. yeah everybody likes to think that they worked hard and that they're merit yeah. and they're, 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 they're worthy in some way so I think n- now maybe identity politics has managed to refine the message a little bit. Mm-hmm. But when a lot of this stuff was being mainstreamed very quickly via social media, it didn't come with a public relations... Aye. Disclaimer. It, <laughs> didn't, it wasn't saying, and here are the, uh, uh, also the really, areas where you, you might have some questions absolutely. and we're ready to deal with those questions. Yeah, absolutely. It was just, if you have a fucking question, you're fucking denying that this yeah. is going on and you are part of the problem. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, I think even people... The countless people on the left now have came out, whether in writing, whether uh, whether whether they've said it publicly, whether it's on social media, beginning to kind of articulate the response, which is, do what you're doing. This is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. If yeah. there's any overlap potential here, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. But um, but I, th- I think the left is going to become more protective of the class analysis that's required mm-hmm. because ultimately I think that has a lot more utility in terms of uniting people yeah. as well as actually, you know, cutting to the very core of what a lot of the inequalities are actually about. Absolutely. I think that I can't even remember who I, I heard say it and it wasn't in reference, but I, I used it in this conversation with this, this guy who was saying that, you know, like working class guys in Glasgow schemes in the East End when I was growing up have got more in common with black guys that live in Harlem, with people that live in Compton oh, than what they do with people that live in Westminster or people that... Are, but, so that's why we end up with this... Or we seem to have ended up with this divided and very much like misogynistic view of like men are under attack. Yeah. It's, so culture's under attack and, um, and I think that people throwing petrol on that fire by shouting out somebody's privilege is just going to make it even worse. The, the issue is when people view men's issues and women's issues as a zero-sum game. So you'll get women's aid tweeting something out about, um, you know, shortage of funding. Yep. You know, a rape mm-hmm. crisis tweeting out something about shortage of funding. Mm-hmm. And a couple of tweets down, you'll get a kind of men's rights 
Yeah. Uh, equivalent saying, ah, oh, well, we've been running since 2012 and da 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 How come we what don't, we, we don't get it? And it, there's this perception that women's issues have just been automatically funded since day one mm-hmm. and that actually all of those organisations aren't a part of a concerted political social movement which has been pushing <laughs> women's issues out yeah. of the political sphere for a hundred years. <clears throat> yep. And and so, you know, Rape Crisis, Women's Aid, all of these organisations that particularly specialise in matters affecting women, mm-hmm. it's a political process they've been on where they've had to stay the course, they've had to fight through the various layers of stubborn public uh, misguided perceptions about issues around gender, many of which we've probably been guilty of expressing <laughs> at different points Definitely. as men. <clears throat> And 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 you can't say, oh well, we started uh we started the Scottish Family Party in two thousand and twelve, and why are we not getting funded by government? Mm-hmm. The government doesn't hand out funding willy nilly. You need to get in the game and you need to fight for it, mm-hmm. and that's how it works. And and so I think now we're beginning to see again. I mean, I just seen Owen Jones publish an article in the Guardian last week, which was about um, men who suffer sexual abuse and rape. And so that was a pretty big story in recent weeks with the, the aye, conviction of the fella, but it was 17 men he'd raped or something aye, like aye. that. Like just a, a, it seems like prolific seems like the, the wrong word to use. Just mm-hmm. a serial fucking rapist. Yeah. Arsehole, right? But the, the thing about it is that when the issue is raised of its own merit, and isn't raised as a response to somebody raising a women's issue. Mm-hmm. Culture doesn't have a problem with men talking about the issues yeah. that they face, whether it's mental health crisis, uh-huh. whether it's um, men being fucked over in family courts, mm-hmm. whether it's all of these issues. It's just that when it's when it's kind of, I but what about men? Yeah, yeah. It's, what about it, it seems mm-hmm. kind of petulant, you know. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of petulance. And I think as we talk about all the various sort of factions of, of, of the sort of wider notions of the left, both here and elsewhere, like <clears throat> you know, I think what we need is to try and find ways to bring ourselves together a bit better. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of absolutism within all the individual wee factions, and I think. You know these types of reactions and you know negative connotations that we are now all starting to associate with discussing anything really in the public domain should, for me, be all that we need to motivate is to actually try and find ways around these things. Yeah, you know I- what I mean? Like, I think in terms of that particular story, I was taken aback by the fact that I was pure. Obviously, throughout the course of human history, gay men have been raped. Probably as much, well, maybe not as much, I don't know, but it happens, it will have happened everywhere through all time. And raped by men. Yeah. So again, it comes back to <laughs> men's proclivity yeah. to sexual violence. I'm nearly 40 years old and I've never, I've never seen a story. I've never consciously been thinking to, and I thought to myself, I think that's the first time I've ever read a story about a guy being raped. Mm. And um, I found that quite odd. Like that, that's no these part are the, of any of the conversations we have yeah. about you know all these various. This issues. is how they they infiltrate and how they actually like radicalize. If and put that in air quotes because I don't know how much you would say it as being radical, but that's how they get young guys to see the hypocrisy in the reporting and the media. Is that yeah. they point out these things and they go well. Ask yourself why you know it's because they're against you. It's like almost mm. like weaponized. Like gay men or men. They get sexual assaulted. If you, there are plenty of instances where pe- people, and especially in social media, will probably come out and go like, "Men can't be sexually assaulted," and it's like, "Well, maybe in your mind, but yeah, 
I think that that's a really good point of what you just said there is who's the perpetrator? Mm. It's other men. Like, mm-hmm. we still have this problem with sexual violence amongst yeah. men and we need to look at that. And it's not about blaming men or, like, pointing the finger, but it's just an actual fact that, uh, you know it, what I mean? I mean, d- does that mean women, uh, you don't get female paedophiles and you don't get female abusers of other women mm-hmm. uh, or even men or even children? Of course, Of course not, but... Trying to compare the two is like trying to compare the number of people who die from champagne corks per year mm-hmm. and the number of people who die in traffic accidents. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you wouldn't be like, I well, I, I well, look, look, all the people who died in traffic accidents. Ah, yeah, but what about the people who died from when they opened a bottle of champagne? Eh? Uh-huh. You know, well, I want more money for that. Mm-hmm. It's just like, or even <laughs> even worse, it's it's well, you look at the amount of people that die for opening in a bottle of champagne we're not going to ban that so we may as well just not even bother talking about this other issue aye, aye. as a way to sort of try and go well fuck your point it's pointless because but pe- aye, it, it's just trying to marginalise things and how do we one of the things I'm kind of trying to break down in my writing and my new book is as well as these political issues cultural issues whatever how do we arrive in a place where these impulses begin to drive how we conduct ourselves in conversations? Mm. How many people, I mean, even earlier when I was talking about kind of arriving in that sort of what an identity politics would be called the kind of alt-right pipeline, right? I arrived there at a feeling of irritation that someone had challenged me, mm-hmm. right? I didn't take a minute to think about the validity of the challenge. I didn't take a minute to think about what ignorance am I bringing to bear in that dynamic that yeah. I feel offended that someone has challenged me? Or even just consider what aspects of being challenged am I going to accept and which ones am I going to push back against? Mm-hmm. There was none of that. It was, I've been challenged, I'm going online to figure out what this means and then immediately being drawn to people who seem to have a se- experience similar to mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, how much of how we conduct ourselves in matters of politics and culture uh, are are we driven by those impulses totally beyond our own awareness? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally beyond our awareness. And what, the truth is, often when we feel annoyed, upset, irritated, angry, we can feel most justified, but also we're actually our most vulnerable uh, to becoming mm-hmm. prey to ideas that are way more reactionary than maybe what our natural political positions are. Mm-hmm. And I, I say this for people all across the spectrum, you know, that... The public discourse online is curdled, right? Mm-hmm. The, 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 the the idea of trying to sort out complex problems by talking about them on Twitter is absurd <laughs> and uh, by its very nature. But again, even though we all know this, we're all on there trying to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there has to be, and this is the kind of argument I make in the book, is rather than spending a lot of time being hypercritical of the things we think are holding our side back, we just need to make our own values visible. Mm. So we need to become examples of what sort of politics we want to see. Yeah, and yeah. that means sometimes like you know, developing a conscious awareness of what these impulses that can drive the mean-spiritedness are and, and sometimes learning to resist them. Now, will you be able to do it all the time? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. You're a human being. Yeah. And sometimes you need to get angry and let off steam. And sometimes you need to get angry because that's the only kind of energy that's going to get something done. Yeah. But... But for me, I recognise that um, a lot of the time it's in the editing process of writing when basically I'm trying to scale it, I'm trying to 
take the vitriol out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm moved into a place of writing, it's from a place of anger, and then mm-hmm. I then I you. have to put it through the sieve a few times because yeah. I'm also trying to be persuasive and I'm also trying to be open minded and I'm also trying to be charitable to points of view that I disagree with. Uh-huh. I'm not trying to present the opposite person as the worst possible caricature of their position. Yeah. And if I'm trying to do that, I'm not helping. It Absolutely. might feel cathartic. It might get uh-huh. an applause from a bunch of people who are equally mean-spirited as me. But, you know, <laughs> when it comes down to it, I, my inclination, particularly when I'm feeling well, is uh, to be a bit more generous mm-hmm. uh, of spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- whoever I'm dealing with. And, and, and I, I think people on the left particularly in relation to these matters of culture where there's obviously great friction and also trying to break down in our minds, right, who are we fighting now? Because we're saying that, we're saying that, uh, we're saying authorities are scum. Uh, I think maybe we want to might get a grading system. So there are gradations <laughs> of scumminess. Yeah. Right, so we're saying Jacob Rees-Mogg is kind of on the far end of it, right? He's uh-huh. kind of, At least an eight. he's over eight there with sort of your Dick Cheney. Uh, kind of uh, people on the right okay like just fucking dangerously reactionary Mm -hmm. right but then are we going to say that more kind of moderate conservatives are also scum so do we need to confront the radical idea that even though we would rather have no Tories in power and we would rather be in power Mm -hmm. and we would rather no one had any conservative viewpoints whether social or, 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 or economic at the same time we also have a society where we have to live together, mm-hmm. we have to have some degree of cohesion, yeah. and and actually at some point in a democracy we're going to have to collaborate with Absolutely. people that we don't agree with in order to get some done. Thing about some of these platforms that we're talking about is that as much as people are out there voicing their opinions and putting their two points, like it's almost like we're doing a lot of talking, but we're not actually communicating effectively. You know what I mean? And I think an openness to engage with and discuss and debate the other side on any manner of, you know, topics is is something that we need to see way, way more. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Because like, we encounter so many folk now that are just, they're just in their trenches, they're dug in, and there is no wiggle room, and they're like, I think we need to find but, ways to get to these people. They're and it's like, where are they? By going, you're a bad person for being in the trench, doesn't it get that person out the trench? You know what I mean? Right. Like, even, it, even that, even that, so let's break that down. So, where are these people? So these people we talk about are often a character which is a caricature that's in our mind. Yep. Mm-hmm. That is the kind of that is the the our brain, our consciousness's best effort to try and put various different pieces of our experience together into something that's coherent. Mm-hmm. Often, what we're talking about when we're saying these people in the trenches is. Five people on Facebook that <laughs> fucking do our tits in. Yeah. Right? Because actually, and when you go into the real world, and I, I do that yes. quite often, so public events, uh, performing, da 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 you get loads of different people from loads of different backgrounds, and when people are in a room together, their inclination is to cooperate, yeah. unless they're drunk. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so it's, 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 almost, it's almost like, what we're saying about people being entrenched is absolutely important to point out. Mm-hmm. Sometimes what I would question, and I do this with myself as well, is are we ref- are, are we referring to that as taking place on a larger scale than it really is? Mm, yeah. Because what social media does is 
it, it creates false equivalence between so many different viewpoints and groups yep. based on what's driving interaction and conversation. And a lot of this stuff doesn't map onto reality very well when you come out of the social Absolutely. media space. Uh-huh. We were talking about that week, Yeah, that? I had a conversation with, uh, and I was playing sort of devil's advocate with her as well, which it, it was fine and she didn't fall at me, which was good. But they were talking about... Um, racial violence in America and like police violence and I was saying, all right, so absolutely these events happen every day, but they don't happen as often as what you think they do. It's not like everywhere in America black people are under attack for the police. It's like you it might happen once, but that one event gets spread around the globe and then everybody's like, holy shit. And again, it is shocking and something absolutely needs to be done about it, but mm. you also need to maintain an element of realism mm-hmm. and that that is one person that that happened to and that you, you don't need to start then screaming at the person next to you because you've seen this video. Mm-hmm. Um, and there needs to be... You need to be rational about these things. Like, the, the we, we live... Like, 2020, we live in the best time that there has ever been to be alive. And it almost feels like the worst time that's ever been to be alive. Like mm-hmm. we have get more. Yeah, you can take care of literally, like especially here right now. If you, if you're sick, you can go and get it seen. And I think that we need to sort of like take a, a step back and almost do what you were saying is is that think about how people interact in real life. And a good example of that is is if you walk down Sucky Hall Street right now, Saturday afternoon, you're probably likely to meet a religious extremist and the guy that stands there and reads for the Bible and shouts at people walking by, is there a queue of people there waiting to attack this guy? No. People ignore him mm-hmm. because... <laughs> and it's just like if you were in the pub and some drunk idiot's talking and being racist or being misogynistic in the pub, do you run up and punch that guy in the face or do you run up and scream back at him, you're a fucking... Yeah. You don't. You ignore him and yep. you don't give him the fresh air. But when somebody from Love Island then Snapchat's a video of her in a nightclub going, Jeremy Corbyn can fuck off because he's not taking 60% of my money. She doesn't understand tax. Like, <laughs> what do you do with that person? Well, what happened was is that it got retweeted and two or three days get caught up with people gaining it the air that it didn't deserve. Just fucking ignore it. Yeah, Don't no engage with it. It isn't real. Like, that's one person. She doesn't represent that side. And also, she's not scum. She doesn't want to vote for Boris Johnson because she thinks that working class people are going to die on benefits. It is a real... I nobody out there is like, poor, let's kill male working class people. Like, it's... it's Unless, ma- maybe the Queen. Incentive. Maybe Prince Philip. <laughs> maybe the lizard people. Maybe... But uh, I think yeah. real people, if you were to actually sit down with them and go, what did you vote? And they like, I voted Conservative. And you were to say, did you vote for more people on universal income to commit suicide and die of starvation? Absolutely fucking not for the vast majority Aye, this, of people, but this, this is what it is. This, I mean, just kind of as you, as you walk through the the tectonic plate of evidence that something about the way the left has been conducting itself, particularly in the social media age, where often we've all been acting with a real awareness of how what we say and do on social media actually translates to other people, mm-hmm. then this kind of what you're referring to um this relying almost exclusively on the kind of moral urgency of the perma crisis you know mm. what i mean so it's like if you if you scroll through your news feed you're going to see business insider the london economic the, the screeching canary 
Uh, you're going to see the independent, which is kind of trying to out Canary the Canary. And every day it's just going to be the same story about someone who was waiting on benefits, died while getting uh, PIP and their mm-hmm. PIP payments. You're going to see the same story uh, about food banks. You're going to see the same story and the same story and the same story. Yep. And to the person who hasn't moved out of the trench yet, this just is another layer of evidence that adds to the moral outrage. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, these things are outrageous. Yeah. They absolutely are. But you have to understand that the, the, the this moral appeal to people to change their mind on a moral basis doesn't mm-hmm. wash with everyone mm-hmm. because everyone has a slightly different moral worldview. Absolutely. So if you look at Labour's campaign, you can see one of the real weaknesses of it was that it relied primarily on this kind of Ken Loach approach. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Where it was like, ultimately at its core, it was Tories are bad, Tories are shit, fuck Tories, uh, vote Labour. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Here's a picture of somebody at a food bank. Here's a picture of somebody who's struggling. He's Jeremy Corbyn He's, in a Christmas jumper at yeah, a homeless shelter. Exactly. And other people who are, you know, dealing with other issues, just because they don't change their mind based on that sort of campaigning doesn't mean that they don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, a conservative, a kind of, a conservative, an economic or social conservative might say something like, oh, this is terrible. You know what I mean? It's terrible that these things are happening, mm-hmm. but if you look at the way the economy is being run, how the hell are we supposed to provide public services da 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 when we're getting more yeah. and more into debt? Right, so the conservative analysis begins and ends with law and order, live within your means. Without these two things, you have nothing. Mm-hmm. You don't have a society. You don't have laws, rights. You don't have um, welfare. Mm-hmm. You don't have these things. And so, like, while you might disagree with the effects of adopting that viewpoint, you have to accept that there is a kind of moral logic to it. Mm-hmm. And then when you accept that there is a moral logic to it, you can discard all of that other stuff about them just wanting to kill working class people. Yeah. Do the effects of political policies result in death and trauma and the kind of post-industrial malaise which all of these problems are associated with. Yep. Absolutely they do. But the, the the conservative would be able to cite you 10 examples of conservative policies that have lifted working class yeah. people out of poverty. Uh-huh. I mean, the, working, the, working, the middle class exploded under Margaret Thatcher. It just can't be denied. Mm-hmm. What, where do you think all of these... Uh, upwardly socially mobile conservatives all come from yeah. uh-huh. do you know what I mean they didn't just get come grown in fucking test tubes do you know what I mean yeah, they became the middle class they had middle class kids and they're uh-huh. all voting Tory yep. and and so it's just I, 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 can't, I can't get on board with dismissing conservatism as a value system it's important to to, 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 to make sure that we don't throw every tradition out it's important to recognise that we need to live within our means uh, that, that sometimes the best contribution we can make to our community is to get our own house in order. Yep. Like, these are just basic virtues. I don't have problems with conservative virtues. Mm-hmm. I have problems when publicly schooled millionaire heirs and heiresses mm-hmm. who hitch themselves to conservatism uh, embark on political uh, adventures that affect people who are living lives that they have no concept of. Uh-huh, now, that is something completely different yeah. mm-hmm. from a, a, a working class person voting Tory 
because of the immigration issue. Uh-huh. Like it just is, just yeah. is different. Yeah, absolutely. Cameron Johnson, Theresa May, to a lesser extent, although I'd say argue that she's like, done more damage than all of them. Yeah, mm. but Osborne's a, a a big one as well. George Osborne. Hi, exactly. So I I I just I make a distinction between those people in uh-huh. politics. And your average conservative punter who's either like living in a scheme buying mm-hmm. a Daily Mail mm-hmm. or who's living in a suburb. And, yeah. and, and there is a difference, uh, the, I think. Absolutely. And I think that this was displayed. And I think it's something that people have started to sort of, well, especially for me, I was happy to see, you know, and no way am I an, a, an endorser of the reigning government in any way, shape or form. But they are political leaders coming out and saying, when we say we are anti-American, we mean your political class and the people that run your military and your economics. We don't mean you. We've got nothing against you. And I think that that's something that we, and I'm starting to sort of come around and have been for like maybe a year now, is that I'm against Boris Johnson, but I'm not against a deluded person in Shettleston that voted for a Tory councillor. He's not Aye. a scumbag. And oh, telling him that he is a scumbag isn't he going to change his mind. In fact, he's going to fucking double down. Yep. And this is, I think, that we need to, like Matt was saying earlier on, we need to engage more in, why did you do that? You know what I mean? Like, curiosity, feeling, for fuck's sake. He might you know be I mean? feeling forced into voting Conservative because he doesn't want independence. He might be feeling, there's all sorts of reasons why. So maybe he just believes in the UK... Mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. and that's just where that person is. In Scotland, sometimes the choices that we're confronted with bear little relation to what we would like to actually see happen in our country in terms of policy yeah. and have everything to do with looking two, three, four years down the line at what's going on in Westminster mm-hmm. and what our view is on independence and trying to vote pragmatically within all of yep. those constraints. So there is always, and, and also what we need to remember as well is just to kind of the emotional illiteracy of, on one hand, recognising that you're not going to get elected without persuading people to your point of view or building a broad coalition of the electorate behind yes. your platform uh, and at the same time constantly making reference to people who vote against those things for whatever reason they do it as scumbags. So yeah. it, just, it just makes no sense. I mean, this, that was one of the big contradictions with Corbynism. It was for the many. But actually... Wasn't Lots it? of people were disqualified from Corbynism by virtue of the fact they weren't left enough mm-hmm. or by virtue of the fact they appeared on newspapers and programmes or that they were corporate or yep. people who voted Conservative once or people who didn't completely agree with every single aspect of what Corbynism was about. Mm-hmm. And and so it's like, on one hand, it's like for the many, but really that for the many umbrella gets smaller and smaller and smaller Aye. as everyone is exiled. It was, it was about for the many so long as you agree with us. And I think, you know, a lot of what you've touched, touched on there is you know, really at the centre of what's going to be part of the main struggle for the Labour part of the now, because when you're losing mining communities and guys like Dennis Skinner are now no longer MPs mm-hmm. because the area voted overwhelmingly for Tories, I get there's an aspirational thing going on a lot of the time. Obviously, Brexit was a big issue and stuff like that, but, like, you know, these issues that you're talking about need to be answered because even when you look at the, the actual Labour leadership campaign just now, there's, you know, people who are, you know, Corbyn light and all these other things that are getting banded about, you know, trying to keep that, those ideas alive. But I did think that there was elements of the Labour Party that become quite exclusionary in the build-up to the election. And then 
at the time when I started seeing results roll in, I was shocked. But I think having a, a period of time to reflect on it, looking back on it, like I can kind of get it now. And as you say, if we're not engaging with the, the guys in the former mining communities and saying, well, hold on a minute, like why did you vote this way? What was it that done it? Like, how can we then have an effective opposition, an effective Labour Party that can then, you know, mobilise the left, unify it in the same way that the right have in, in recent years and actually make the changes that they want to make? But it's, it was very much for the many, so long as you agree with us. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I think the the... The issue for me around Labour is that we underestimated, we say we, that's just my kind of natural inclination to Labour coming mm -hmm. through there, because I don't see myself as Labour, yeah. but I refer to that as the left and I see myself as part of that. Definitely. So I think in the first instance, we uh, underestimated the role that these cultural issues were playing Definitely. through a combination of fear and anxiety and a lot of radical intellectuals who the activists look to for guidance on how to behave in communities and how to deal with issues just passed the buck when it came to dealing with the issue of identity because it was too difficult to address it. Mm -hmm. And so you had a lot of activists going out into communities talking about class and in the communities, everybody's talking about immigration mm -hmm. and everybody's talking about race and everybody's yep. talking about all of these issues that were mainstreamed by the left. Total I mean, it's quite ironic that Corbyn ultimately was, was aside for the Brexit issue and Labour's indecision on that, uh, the, the most damaging aspect that for him was these anti-Semitism accusations mm -hmm. and actually the whole strategy that uh, that, that was deployed and I'm not, I'm not for a minute saying there's no anti-Semitism in, in the Labour Party mm -hmm. there is because there's anti-Semitism in our whole society exactly yeah. so yeah, it's yeah, going to yeah. be found in every Absolutely. single iteration yes. you know Absolutely. what I mean just like there's misogyny everywhere and all of this sort of stuff but a combination of Corbyn not really engaging fully with media uh, leaving a vacuum for people to pour scorn in whatever way they wanted, mm -hmm. and also the fact that you know I, I the get left he was can... trying to do high ground. He was trying to like take the high ground, but it became abundantly clear that that high ground was not working very very quickly. The it... fact he was trying to take the high ground just was a complete misunderstanding of the environment he's operating in. Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole idea behind centrist politics is the pragmatic approach of accepting that society for what it is, including all the challenges of corporate right-wing media. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right, so you can disagree with centrism because whatever reasons you like, but at least understand that you know, your Sturgeons, your Blairs, your Gordon Browns, all of these people, mm -hmm. uh, they, they, they're coming from a place of, this is a society with which we're confronted, here is our strategy to deal with the challenges of uh -huh. getting some of our policies through. Mm -hmm. um, but what happened with Corbyn was ultimately the, 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 the mechanisms, the strategy, even some of the language, the analysis all around identity that the left kind of mainstreamed, that was what was used against Corbyn. So the minute mm -hmm. that Corbyn tried to say, or anybody in Labour tried to say, well, no, no, let, let's talk about this. It was like, oh, let's talk about this. Aye. No, we don't talk about this, mate. <laughs> you accept 100% this problem. Mm -hmm. Now, where did we hear that before? Mm. On the left. Mm -hmm. So straight away, what's also been underestimated is all of this cultural resentment that's built up against the left. Mm -hmm. Years before Corbyn even got into power, right, uh, all of these issues as they've played it online, all of these issues as they've played out on Pierce Morgan and his TV show yeah. and, and all of these sort of things, all these issues around identity that have become social media tropes <laughs> and easy clickbait and all of that. The, the, all of that stuff in the public, the public got this sense, 
we can't get any we've got no wriggle room man we've all I've always got somebody jumping mm-hmm. down my throat I'm, I'm saying something wrong I'm believing something wrong I don't da 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 and, and then really what the left created was this kind of it was just surrounded by people that were just waiting to be like, ha-ha, uh-huh. now you know how it feels. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Brexit. People Aye. just get fucking sick of it and went, fuck it, vote for a guy. Let's Aye. just move on for this. Now yeah. you know how it feels to get accused of one of the worst things that you can be accused of, mm-hmm. whether whether you can be reliably accused of that or not. Yeah. Now you know how it feels when an accusation sticks. Now you know how it fucking feels. Get it right up your Labour, you cunts. Uh, Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because Labour is this proxy for the left in the culture war. Yeah. And there was no real articulation of, we recognise that these are some other concerns that are going on out here. We just tried to get back to the class analysis. And partly one of the things that Corbyn functioned as was a kind of an excuse to postpone some of those difficult conversations that we're now having with some of the YouTube content creators and stuff I I, I mentioned earlier around identity and culture and separating these things out Mm -hmm. and seeing actually when is it not cool to go after people online? When is it not cool to bring people's family and children into shit? When is it not cool to pretend that you're trying to advance a political cause when really you're just airing out a prior resentment that you have with someone behind the veil of communitarian concern? Mm -hmm. When is that not okay? Because I don't care how left-wing you claim to be, like, we're sometimes just full of shit. And it doesn't (laughs) matter what colour you are, what gender you are, what you've been through, you have the same potential to be full of shit like I do. absolutely. I think that what's coming to mind here is the... um, there's a couple of people, and, and there's YouTubers as well. There's a guy, Hotep Jesus, uh, in America, who is a right-winger, but he uses his, he uses the fact that he's black as a way to sort of infiltrate right, okay. and sort of shitster in that community because it's he basically uses that, well, how can I be wrong when I'm black? How can how can I be wrong about racism when I'm a black man? Like, and, and there's another, there's a female <laughs> that does it, and that, but he does it deliberately. Uh, and you think about it, it's beautifully done. Okay. It, it causes, he, he's, he's a fucking idiot to a person, and the message that he's putting out there, I do not agree with, mm-hmm. but he's used that, when I think about what you were talking about there, he's used that <clears> platform he's used his identity to shield himself exactly, and you get guys like Milo Yelanopoulos that uses his gay identity as a way to shield Aye. himself, but you can't, you can't really get, when you talk to people about it, you're like, but he's standing with a bible, and like, it's a weird sort of, he's got a weird thing going mm-hmm. on he uses the fact that he's gay and, and he stands up and basically goes well, I'm gay, and when I'm talking about homosexuality I, in your eyes <coughs> I should be the the highest voice because I've experienced that and uses it as a way to sort of like stir up the, the left and I think that as well people like Jordan Peterson he talks about like cultural Marxism or cultural fascism yeah I um, used to use that term and I didn't know what it meant mm-hmm. and then I realised and then and then it was kind of like so uh, and that's the dog whistle as well as aye, being aye. a warning that has come back to bite the left on the it seems to make sense at first mm. doesn't it um, I think we're just living in an era where a lot of what the left has done is coming back to bite it culturally. Mm-hmm. Even with identity politics, that is really an evolution of a class analysis, which it, rather than 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 uh, rather than the disparate groups being denoted as their social class, it's been expanded to the identity. So white, black, gay, straight, trans, da 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 da. So it's 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 really a kind of it's 
people on the left getting a sense of what it would be like to be a Tory. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like uh-huh. when somebody starts accusing you of being privileged because of your background, and then suddenly you're like, oh, hang on, I'm on the left, but yeah. this doesn't apply to me. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, uh, oh, but you're like- white. No, but what does that... Ah, oh, bastard, you know? Yeah. And so it's just all these ideas that really the left has kind of like relished in, and I'm not saying that they're no valid and they're no important, but we're just going through a period where everybody's getting their bearings where mm-hmm. they apply and where they don't. Mm-hmm. Everybody's getting their bearings on what language they need to use to articulate their feelings on it, whether right. they're against it or whether they support it. And ultimately, people need to make a decision. Are they willing to put themselves on the line and stand their ground when they think they need to and accept whatever comes with it because kind of coming from a place of uh, I'm scared to say things because all these bloody minorities are shouting at me on Twitter do you know what I mean and it's just like don't be such a pussy do you know what I mean like it's going to be like it's going to be like at the most a hundred people if you're not moderately famous are going to get you hiding every few years because you say something dumb or because you stand your ground is it the end of the world if anything that they say against you is not true does it really matter are the majority of people going to buy in and believe it no so don't don't base your behaviour on the fact that some people are going to be critical because part of free speech is you say your shit and somebody else says their shit. I think like we just need to be a bit more bold on the left in terms of just just being more confident that the class analysis is ultimately the vehicle. Mm-hmm. It's the vehicle to power. It's the vehicle to getting more cultural traction in communities. And this does not exclude other analyses. Mm-hmm. This does not exclude other groups. It's just about saying... If identity for you is the is the ascendant issue, do your thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Go and um, you know go and go and pick at Marvel Studios to make sure that you get more female superhero movies. Go and make sure Gillette know the score when they have an advert about toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Go and do those things. I like to see those things. I'm down for that. But um, do that over there because mm-hmm. over here, what we're talking about is Gillette pay your fucking tax, Marvel yeah. pay your fucking tax. Yes, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Definitely, absolutely. Um, I think that's the, uh, a good point to sort of move on to some other subjects. Um, I think that I mean last year I came and seen your friend show in August 2019 and honestly thought that it was. It was an amazing experience and it wasn't just going and seeing a show. I felt that I, I, I sat at the back of the show and I was looking about and I could just see people squirming in their seat and I thought that you had deliberately done that. So if people are squirming in their seat watching a stage show and it's no deliberate, Aye. maybe it's not been the right thing. <laughs> but I, the, the, the bit that really impressed me the most was the, the sort of time travel bit that you did, which was not only just like really like expressive and felt that actually creatively was genius but also it was a a great it was honest and it was a commentary on like well what I took for it is is that no matter how far down the or how big that you get or how brilliant you think that you are if you have experienced things like addiction you are always on the edge of sliding back into the things and you need to you, you can't take your eye off the ball when you spoke about like I've I've relapsed. Has he told you that? Has he relapsed? I thought it was absolutely fucking genius. But what was it? What kind of reaction did you get to that? Were you getting? Um, because a lot of people looked uncomfortable with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I I embraced it because that 
to me, it spoke to me because I am a recovered or recovering addict and I have relapsed in the past and all these sort of things. That Do I share that with people? No, I don't. Like, do you know what I mean? And I, and I was like, this is, again, it was it was brilliant. But what was the type of feedback that you got for your show? Were you getting all positivity? Was there... Well, I mean, just to, just for the benefit of anyone listening who didn't see the show, so the, what, what we're referring to is there's a... Uh, in the show there's two versions of me so there's a kind of time travel subplot where I I, I begin the show and then I kind of I'm so socially mobile that I'm actually travelling through time as well as up and down the class ladder (laughs) and I've turned up at the wrong year in the fringe and then further through the show then I find like drugs in my pocket and I'm like, well, these aren't mine. So who can they be? So then I allude to this other version of me who's loose in the timeline. Mm -hmm. And then I go away to try and clean up the timeline and the drunk version of me appears. Mm -hmm. And the drunk version of me is the person that's consumed with anger about class disparity, just wearing everything, all all, all my heart on my sleeve. But right at the very core of all the madness, not the anger is the most difficult truth of all which is that if you've done well enough to think that having two grand in the bank means that you're running out of money, you're a fucking cunt. (laughs) And if politicians are trying to appeal to your financial insecurity because you pay a lot of tax, you're a cunt. Mm. And I'm standing there with my hand in the air saying, I'm a cunt, right? And I'm trying to just show the people in the audience how the whole process of moving up the ladder moderates you politically Mm -hmm. and that this creates a lopsidedness in British life where the people who suffer the least have to be the most catered to and comforted all the time by the political class at the expense of people who are living lives that we are increasingly remote from. So that's the sort of idea behind the show. The response to the show, first of all, it was nerve-wracking because the first year that I did the show and the book came out and just every stars all aligned for me in 2018 in a way that I could never have foreseen. So last year, really, the pressure for me, as I perceived at the time, probably a product of the fact I wasn't very well mentally, everything that I did last year, I can, I felt like I was comparing it to what had happened the year before. Of course. And if everything didn't match what I remembered, <clears throat> it wasn't as good, and I was in crisis. Mm-hmm. Right. So suddenly I had something to lose, and I was experiencing... That, a month-long run of that could be I, really fucking horrific, was. man. Like... So what I was experiencing, though, was this me suddenly having something to conserve. So the beginning of conservative impulses, mm-hmm. right? Having kids, needing to protect them. Not giving a fuck what happens to the community and my pursuit to make sure that they've got everything that they need that I never had. Mm-hmm. And so really just trying to explore that. And as the shows went on and it started finding its feet, as it often does, with a full run at the fringe, um, then it, it became more emotional. You know, the, the, the I started to think, I started to realise, because ultimately what I was doing was road testing the structure for the book I'm working on. Yeah. And making scene, is this arc going to work in a book? And it did. Because mm-hmm. what I realised was all the people that were squirming, they all wanted to come talk to me after it. They all had things to say. Yep. They were squirming because I designed the show that way, but really it was because... Too often, you're kind of ABC1, uh, you know, 
the, the dominant social economic group in society as measured by the media who divides us all into categories yeah, much right. like Marxism oddly enough <laughs> um, and, and that, demographics exactly and so really I was trying I broke the audience down into those categories and then I sort of I throw them a wee bone here and there and then they get the sucker punch it's like showing the emotional intelligence to say you can validate people for long enough so that when you criticise them they can take it mm-hmm. and they also get the cathartic pleasure of seeing people they disagree with being criticised and so it's like there's just enough criticism and just enough pats in the back that everybody can go through a process of real reflection and vulnerability yep. and and because I'm doing that myself on stage the audience feels like we're in it together mm-hmm. but I did push it this time you know because there was a, I think there was a kind of residual anger within me as well at feeling so displaced uh, in terms of economically socially mm-hmm. You know, we alluded to this last time I was here. When your circumstances change in as dramatic a way as mine did, you can become very isolated. Mm. You know what I mean? Because your problems start to change and you start to think you can't go to your old friends with those problems because they're experiencing what you would see as real problems. Mm -hmm. So what you do is you start opening up new social connections with people who are experiencing what you're experiencing. Oh, my, my tax bills fucking this and that and I've got stress of that oh, what's it like you know travelling to London all the time and yeah, all that yeah. just pussy shit right but but um, but they're real no I know they're, they're real, real stress you know you know what, I mean? can, what I was witnessing was I was actually going through the process of changing mm-hmm. so you naturally become kind of more drawn to people who you can talk to these things about without being embarrassed and also fundamentally where you can get actual proper advice. Of course. Absolutely. What am I going to yeah. my friends to talk about paying 41% tax? Mm-hmm. What one of my friends is paying 41% tax? Yeah. Right. So like just how can they give me advice about that? Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm going to have to go and talk to somebody who's made that amount of money yeah. that I can ask them, what was it like the first year that you'd done this and that and that? Mm-hmm. How did you manage? Did you find that you didn't actually keep that money aside because you didn't realise you'd made as much? And they say things like, aye, <laughs> it's <was> fucking <laughs> mental. Don't worry, it all works out. Yeah. And so then you're like, oh, oh I can go to them. you know. And then you, you start developing a friendship around other things. And so suddenly in that slow process of, I can't talk to them because they it's a bit dumb talking to them about it for numerous reasons I'll talk to them mm-hmm. and then you're kind of your, gravi- your social gravitational pull is in another direction mm-hmm. and you know I don't know how you'd resist that I don't know how you'd resist that especially when you've got children uh, and and that's the question I think that was at the heart of the show mm-hmm. yeah. was how much of your integrity can you retain how many comfort and delusions about meritocracy and social mobility do you have to kind of adopt into your value system to justify why you're part of a shrinking bubble of winners and and so many people are continually doing shit no matter how hard uh-huh, they work yep. and and I, I didn't really feel like I offered any big conclusion other than to just bring this into our awareness Aye. as people who are enjoying social mobility is half the battle. Mm-hmm. To just be kind of like aware that that a lot of what we think and feel about ourselves and why we've done well and what's going on in society is just a kind of product of the, the privilege that we enjoy mm-hmm. for, not, for not being poor. Uh-huh. No. Do you think that the pressure <clears throat> in the... So you, you've had the... the the pressure to have continued the success, which I think that we've seen play out 
many times over in society, whether it oh, be aye. amongst musicians, writers. I think it's a transition that a lot of people have struggled with yeah. over the years. For some reason, people, and I, I think that I've, I've felt, in a, in a smaller way, I've felt felt it all the way through my life, is that if you have success in one area, you feel like you need to keep that success up rather than just keep enjoying what you did to get that success yeah. and try and find it like and I think that's how you sort of ground yourself but try to find that success keep that success going keep the momentum going the fringe show working on the second book was that something that sort of came together when you had which seemed to be I wouldn't like to say like a breakdown but there was there, there was obviously like a, a sort of a, October time yeah yeah, yeah. and like was that a contributing factor um, or was that something that was just sort of like underlying that just played out? Well, the beginning of it really was 2017 when the book came out. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of when I relapsed properly after nearly three years sober. So I had two years sober, I relapsed, then I got nearly three years sober. The week the book came out, I travelled down to London. Mm -hmm. I was on start of the week. I had no expectations of how it was going to go. I had never heard of the show. Yeah. Then I get brought in, sat in the room with all these successful people and get to talk about the book for 15 minutes. <clears> and then <throat> they had all read the book, so they all talked about the book. So basically it was like a 45-minute advert for me in the book. So when I came out of the studio, my life had changed. I could just tell yeah. from my social media. So many yeah. people try to get in touch with me, try to book me, try to do all this. I don't have an agent. I don't have anybody, right? Mm -hmm. A publicist. Uh, and and then I'm in London by myself within an hour the book goes to number one on Amazon I'm by myself I don't have anyone to share this with yeah. and and I'm just in this kind of dangerous state of mania you know what I mean where it's 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 like you, you know those moments where you're dreaming and you're like bastard I'm dreaming mm -hmm. how much longer can I keep in this dream until I know I've got to wake up mm -hmm. in my life it's like that except you have to remind yourself you're not dreaming. So you're like, I'm actually in this moment. Mm -hmm. I'm alive in this moment. This is my life right now. I mean, mm -hmm. you can feel the mania surging within yeah. me just thinking about that day. No. And so that night I went home in my hotel and I had to do the Jeremy Vine show the next day, which was even bigger than start of the week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and suddenly I had an expectation so suddenly I was like, oh, right, no, I get this, it's game changer. Right, if I knock this out of the park, the more I've made it. And then what happened was an hour before I was supposed to go on, I got a phone call saying that they just pulled out and they had just cancelled. And because I had my spiritual defences by that point had been so low, because I was just caught up in this process of getting my book finished, getting out, promoting it, mm -hmm. I was moving and moving further away from my recovery. But I didn't detect how vulnerable I really was. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing. It burst the bubble. So in my extremist mindset, Jeremy Vine cancelling me meant I had failed. Even no. though everything else had happened, I thought I was going back to like Glasgow to my family, like ashamed that I hadn't managed to pull it out of the bag for everybody. Uh -huh. And that's how mad I was. And the first thing I done was I ran out my hotel, ran around to Boots of Chemist, bought a big box of Sopadine Max, rattled four of them into a bottle of water, dissolved them, tanned it, uh, got a wee done off it I was like right cool that's fine I can be done I'll put them in the bin and I'll sort this out when I get home by the time I got home in the train I'd already rocked, had about 30 tablets mm -hmm. you know ibuprofen with codeine sulpidine with codeine 
then you're built up a tolerance to the codeine, then you need Valium, it's only the fake Valium that's out now, so straight away you're in the ballpark, well, the drug death ballpark. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for me, uh, picking up any drug always leads to a drink eventually. Mm-hmm. And so really, the last two years, I never managed to get more than 90 days clean for taking something. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And really what happened in October was I had made the mistake the previous year of agreeing to do so many things based on this fear that it was only going to last for so long. Mm-hmm. So it was like six-part TV series, cool. Friends show, cool. Daily record column, cool. Yep. Write another book, Cool. Day every single event and media appearance and public speaking event I'm offered, cool. Because mm-hmm. in my head, I'm like, I just need to get all this in the bag. Absolutely. And, Cram as and, much in as possible. I, and really all that happened was was um, basically the the just, just the, 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 the wheels just started to come off. You know what I mean? The wheels came off and, and, and I think I ended up, I ended up on a two-day proper bender once it was kind of out that I was drinking again yeah yeah. and uh, like for my family and friends who had been keeping all this a secret for and and that and then that thing happened that you don't imagine will happen when uh, you, you you decide you're going to lift a drink because you, you you lift a drink as an alcoholic you lift a drink based on the fallacy you'll be able to control and enjoy it somehow mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. though there's no evidence for that mm-hmm. so you always think you can foresee all of the different things that might happen and you, you try to guard against them. There's always a secret option that involves police and being suicidal uh-huh. that, that you don't foresee. And really all that had happened was I had been up for two days. I had so many different substances in my system. I was obtaining substances for people, manipulating them, but wasn't telling them all the other substances I'd got off other people. Uh-huh. Because you never do. Aye, so I'm dealing with, you know, I think when I got into rehab, I tested positive for like six different substances, including mm-hmm. alcohol. And, and that was like, you know, as well as the exhaustion, as well as not eating, as well as all the emotional mm-hmm. issues that were going on. I don't really remember much. Um, mm-hmm. I remember kind of flashes of things. Yep. But basically, you know, a lot of the time for me, help arrives in the form of a police car. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I just ended up, I just, I just ended up having to bite the bullet, man, and, and just go, I'm fucked. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I need to have a complete reset of my recovery. I need mm-hmm. to get this idea in my head that if I just get 90 days and I'll be back in track. I had lost track of the fact that I'd been in a relapse really for two years. Mm. Whether using or no, mm-hmm. I was just on a relapse trajectory. And they say that thing with addicts is that, you know, every now and again you take the break to prove to yourself that you can do it. And I think maybe that's where the, you know, these individual sets of 90 days come from. Well, I, I mean, having manic episodes in the past and issues with the drink myself but you know that mania that you're talking about is so dangerous and when you're isolated away from him unusual environments it's like absolutely no surprise that that's what got the ball rolling like you're i mean i when you're manic you're already a massive danger to yourself without throwing drink and drugs and whatever else into the mix as well, you know what I mean? But And this is all why, what's interesting though, is this is all while I'm probably on social media, like holy other now, mm-hmm. going on about this, that and the next thing. Uh-huh. And in the background of my life, I'm lying to all my friends and my mm. family, people that love me. I'm I'm getting so used to telling lies I don't even detect it when I'm doing Absolutely. it. Uh-huh. And the whole reason is just like, it was because I kind of set myself up for it. You know what I mean? Like a pal of mine had, had uh, committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Another pal of mine wasn't well all year and I was worried that he might not make it. And, and, and because the way that 
addiction works, it's burrowing in your mind, it's waiting for an excuse to present the case mm-hmm. that you should pick up. Mm-hmm. And when people die and your spiritual defences are low or when somebody cancels on you yep. or somebody calls you something on Twitter, all these things seem like, fuck it. You had the fuck it, but, and really, really, it all comes down to me no managing my recovery, no taking responsibility for the reality I'm an addict, mm-hmm. and only share it publicly. Only share it publicly because the breakdown was public. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so I need to kind of counter it with the recovery aspect of it because uh-huh. at some point I did have to address it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like for myself, because a lot of my behaviour in those days, uh, leading up to it as well, was really manic. People were worried. I was very vicious on social media towards different people. Uh, I, I I don't even remember a lot of the interactions that I had, but I remember having to get a very trusted friend of mine to log into my Twitter when I was in rehab and yeah. basically delete every single thing I had tweeted from like the 9th of September. Because mm-hmm. I just didn't want to have to... I could feel the emotional resonance of what had happened. I did need to be confronted with every yeah. single instance mm-hmm. of the cringe and the embarrassment and mm-hmm. the shame. Because, like, believe you me, those first couple of days in rehab when you're being detoxed are fucking hardcore. Mm-hmm. No, people oh. talk about the fear, but they don't. Oh, I can still laugh. feel it, man. Right. One of the things that really stood out to me when I, um, I, I didn't really see it unfold, I, I heard about it, and it was almost like. What I, I really liked about it was it was a good example of somebody who has a high profile, maybe no living up to the expectations that they've either set for themselves and other people have had, and people had such a concern, and it wasn't really aye. well, fuck him. Like, you see happen quite a lot, where there people are like, right, aye, bin that a, then, and aye. now the book's, nah, we, we shouldn't be doing that, and like, we should cancel them. That didn't happen. No, people people sort were of genuine aye. and their, their affection and support for you, which I've yeah. got to say was something that jumped out at me as well. Uh-huh. And you know what's mental? This is how mad we can become because all this happened because I wouldn't take time off. I wouldn't take time off because I was that scared if I said I need more time to finish my book or I can't do the fringe or da 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 that somehow somebody out there would just occupy my spot. So just first of all, this idea that anybody can replace me is daft because I'm me and I bring me to the table. Yeah. Nobody else can bring me to the table. They can only bring them. So it's going to replace that. Exactly. And Absolutely. then the other thing is just that like being so unwell to know, realise that you put everything at stake when you lift a drink or take a drug. Everything that you're fighting for, everything you think you're trying to protect by behaving so manically and addictively is actually what's at risk, including your children, including your relationships, the most important things. And you know what? See, when I got to rehab and I was like five days in and I was detoxed and I was clean for the first day, it was just ball on deck, started just doing what was suggested, remembered everything I had knew and been taught about recovery all the previous years. And suddenly I was like, ah. then the email started going out. It was just like, I need a month off. Mm. from the paper yeah. or I need uh, the can't have any talk about the book you know? yeah. cancel all the calendar until the end of January and you know what not one negative repercussion of all that you know what in fact the opposite people like that take as long as you need we all support you yep. we all love you we hope you're alright mm-hmm. and it's just like I go myself into that place because I thought I couldn't ask for help yeah. mm. I thought I couldn't say I'm no managing 
And the minute that I asked for the help, everybody's like, ah, of course. Of course, have it. <laughs> uh, see if you, so if you were... That's a mistake we all make. Absolutely. If you were... If you're look, looking back at it now um, and thinking about the situation and how it played out over the course of 2017, 2018 and 2019, what are you going to do differently now? Because if you're working on another book, I've got no doubt it's going to be as good as Poverty Safari and I've got no doubt that all the opportunities are going to flood in again. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I think that... Um, I have got no doubt that that's going to happen. Like, What are you going to do differently next time? Are you going to... Well, my year's already kind of planned out now. So that's the first thing. Um, so... I've got a deadline for the end of March to try and get a draft of the book in if I want it to be published in August. But if I don't meet that deadline, it's not the end of the world. So mm -hmm. that's the first thing, right? Then if I do meet the deadline, I move into the next TV series or the spring, the summer. So straight away you can see I'm I'm, I'm getting to a place where I'm taking one job on at a time. Yeah, that's right? vital, I think. What had happened last time was everything started to overlap with each other and blend into each other. And to the point where I'm writing a book in the back of a motor, going to a location to film for a TV show. I'm trying to get the film crew to give me an hour so I can get my column in before seven o'clock in the morning before we drive. Right. I yeah. waited a thing. And there's just so much going on. And and you know, so this time really and I think one of the benefits for me anyway of one of the benefits. When you do something when when you have a kind of when you struggle in the way that I was so publicly, it becomes very, very clear to everyone around you, including mm -hmm. all the people that you work with, that you're vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Yes. And actually, as much as my fear might have been, people will be like, oh, well, we can't fucking work with him because he's fucking mad. Actually, everybody came back and was just like, what do you want to do? And mm -hmm. how do you want to do it? Being careful. How do you want to do it? So really, like, it's a case of, I just, I kind of have an extremist mindset of, if I don't do this, uh, oh, God, uh, oh, yeah. that's going to be done. It's breaking my year into bits. So focus on my book. Mm -hmm. Do a bit of telly stuff. Do a wee bit of fringe. And then I'll have a show, a book, and a TV series to promote at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And and that's if it all comes off the way it's planned. Yeah, Things change. Things chop and change. The difference is I'm not operating for a place of... Uh, this is all going to be taken away from me. Yeah. Because that's what I've believed since I was about five years old. Like, that's well, just a core belief. Yeah, that's, that's just, just what I was going to say. <laughs> the, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve what, this. It's no for me. I... What's coming to me is is that perhaps the, the, the working class and the sort of the background has meant that when you get that, you've been working towards a success for when you were like a late teenager and then when you finally get it, the the message and what I'd be thinking is you the, the strike while the iron's hot like the time is now oh, I right. need to do it such but, an easy thing to do in that respect like yeah. approach it in that manner and I think that this is something that now you've had that learning experience and then and obviously you're a wee bit more comfortable taking that time to actually do the work properly don't overwhelm yourself is probably a very good message to just to say to anybody Aye. that finds himself in that situation and especially people with young children. Mm -hmm. because what you'll find is the children will light a fire under your arse to provide uh, like nothing else will yeah. but also the process of raising the children if you're actually going to attempt to be involved mm -hmm. in any meaningful way uh, will exhaust you and dispirit you and place strains on your relationships uh, <clears throat> and, and, and all the different ways that if you're trying to 
if you're trying to do the providing and the child reading and all the other stuff yes. on top of it, and uh, you're not sitting down at first before you even launch into all that and going like that, what is really important here? Mm-hmm. Like since I since I got back home. Uh, uh, I don't check myself into hotels anymore to do work. Right. Like, that was me isolating. Mm. That wasn't even me working. I can go to a library and do that. Yeah. And if it's too noisy, I can put he- earplugs in. I was isolating in hotels. I was hiding from my family. Yeah. Because sometimes when I was working away, I would be away for so long, I would come home and I'd feel so clumsy around my kids because they all get into their own wee rhythm when you're away. Yeah. And then... And then sometimes I would get dead resentful because I would be scrolling through my news feed. It's pure progressive central and it's just one article after another about guys being shit and guys this and guys that. And intellectually, I totally understand what all of that means. And, I, and, and nothing will give you a glimpse into the world of patriarchy than, uh, than, than, than watching the mother of your children trying to fucking deal with all of the pressure that's on her mm-hmm. uh, as a mother with two children, whether it's the pressure to look a certain way, eat a certain way, get back to work, stay at home, mm-hmm. and then at the same time you've got an economy and a society that while it sounds like it's uh, it's all about gender equality, really wants to adopt the very traditional configuration of yeah. the guy goes out and works and the mum stays at home. Yeah. It's a very hard thing to resist when you have two young kids. Definitely. And so the, the I, I just I just remember like times thinking uh, thinking like the society seems to think I'm coasting through life and I'm getting a great kick out of the privilege that I enjoy and actually I'm spending a lot of my time thinking about how I'm going to end my own life and I don't know how to express this without being exiled for making the comment about the culture of oh, yeah. kind of that it's always like men are shit, you know. Yeah. I know that's not what's happening in the culture. That's how I was interpreting it sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're just scrolling through your newsfeed and you're just like and you know, some twat is tweeting about uh whatever they're tweeting about mm-hmm. and they, they don't know the full narrative of your life and they don't know what's going on. And you're just saying like cut me some slack man all day is work. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I come home, I fucking fall asleep, I'm back up, I'm back up. I do the night times with my wains, everybody's got everything they need and more. And somehow I'm getting a message for society that's still not enough. Mm-hmm. That's still not enough for me. I've also got to fucking make sure that I'm loading the dishwasher just the exact amount of times that my missus is loading yeah. it. And I've also got to do all your fair share. Aye, aye, I'm just, and just like, on one hand, I know that that's no unreasonable. And on the other hand, I was immensely irritated by it. you get into that idea? And for me, when I'm uncomfortable or when I've had those sort of manic episodes, I have periods of really sort of cyclical thinking. And I think when you're already, you know, starting to question how you feel about your work, how you question how you feel about your mental health and any addictions, and then you also come home for the road after a couple of weeks and as you say the winds are in the rain we routine and maybe and they don't want to talk to you uh, it takes you a few days to get in there there's that that becomes the thing that then starts you know following that sort of cyclical thinking pattern and it's all just reinforcing that unease that you've had throughout the entire process and it's i you begin to realize <clears throat> that to other people on the outside it looks like everything's going great yeah and that you're actually enjoying none of it because there's too much happening and you're knowing a mindset where you can be grateful. 
Mm-hmm. And there's no a moment to savour anything that's going on. It's yeah. always on to the next thing. And it was me that put myself in that position. Yeah. Now, fair enough, I did it because I didn't have the foresight because I'd never experienced it before. But had there been a bit more fumble in the middle of the bed and my recovery, it would have been a bit more intuitive how to manage these things. Definitely. This was just something that I had to go through. I was lucky to come out the other side of it. And the process of me relapsing, people died, people... Uh, who were struggling in, in the periphery of my life mm-hmm. have struggled with different things. So when when we experience mental health crises, we are not the only ones affected. Do you know Absolutely. what I mean? There's people around us that are also it, it can be toxic, it can be dispiriting and dangerous. But I mean, I, I don't know if my message necessarily is positive for other people out there or, or analogous. Um, in terms of the circumstances around my difficulties, mm-hmm. but really, all, all that happened with me was old behaviours crept in because I was struggling mm-hmm. and that was the, the case before any of the success. Yeah. It was like, I've got factory settings that I will return to if I don't take certain action every single day mm-hmm. to make sure that my intentions for the day are set before I begin to move in my life mm-hmm. and 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 I become prey to depression and resentment and all of these negative things and, and part of taking responsibility for me is making sure that I accept that, I understand that, I can't change it. And so, what am I going to fucking do about it, you know? Exactly. Your only choice is to manage it, isn't it? Absolutely, Aye. man. I think that's a, an amazing sort of end to the show. I mean, we're only half in. And Again, been, like the last time, it's just pure breezed by. Aye, man. Um, like, you're an amazing guest. Like, I think that just sitting talking to you is... It's so easy. I forget we're recording. Do you know what I mean? I, I know, that's, I, I'll take that as a good thing, but I mean, I, 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 that's like flow state and all sorts going on, but I, I just want to thank you for coming in again, but also touching on a difficult subject Definitely, that you faced man. and um, being open and honest about it. And um, I so thanks for coming in, man. And thanks uh, for me, but I also like good luck with the year ahead, man. Like I really enjoyed all the work that I've engaged with in the last year. And I know, even though it's been a tough year, I'm really excited to see what comes next for you, man. So best of luck. Thank you, man. Cheers. Lightning falls when there is panic in the sky Thunder calls when all but fear is lived to die You tell it like it's fantasy Something that you're never going to be story every day there's just one thing that I have to say that if we believe if we trusted you then I don't know why you say the things you do you'd see a whole new way to be giving honest answers and not Empty halls now filled with echoes of their past Honor stars, they lived each day
Not those lies to me 